we could exclude the possibility of、uh, involvement in cell death early because we overexpressed,、uh, nothing happens. So, expression of this、uh, gene, MPD1, on any lymphocyte did not induce any cell death. So, we thought this must be doing something else. But to find out, it took us another five or six years. Sarcoma of the neck, spindle celled. Male, aged 40, born in Italy. He was operated upon by Professor Durante of Rome three years before. Recurrence took place two years later, and in April 1891, a second operation was performed by Dr. Bull. The growth was too extensive for removal, and early in May he consented to inoculation. That's from Dr. William Coley's report, published in 1893 in the American Journal of the Medical Sciences. Coley goes on to describe the shrinking of the solid tumor and a dramatic improvement in the patient. Dr. Coley inoculated the patient and several others with Streptococcus pyogenes. The infection could be life threatening, and many of his cancer patients did not respond to treatment, but several patients did show strong responses, sometimes with lasting remissions. The effect was attributed not to the bacteria itself, but to the immune response it triggered. Coley's work marks for many the beginning of the field of cancer immunotherapy. We can now sometimes directly persuade the immune system to attack cancers as if it were a pathogen. Cancer often responds in kind and behaves like one, evolving resistance or employing a plethora of immune evasion strategies aided by its direct access to the host's immunoregulatory toolbox. Professor Tasuku Honjo and his collaborators helped to launch the modern era of cancer immunotherapy, research that led to his sharing of the 2018 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine with James Allison. Dr. Honjo's work on immune checkpoint inhibitors began with a 1992 article in the Embo Journal. A basic research paper that started with an entirely different question. Welcome to the EMBO Podcast. Tasuku Honjo was born in Kyoto. His father was a surgeon, and Honjo studied medicine at Kyoto University. I asked him about his path from medical school to the lab. Actually,、uh, I decided、uh, about the third year of medical school. We have the six year program. The major reasons I、uh, started going to the laboratory of Professor Osamu Hayaishi, who is a biochemist at that time. So I liked this、uh, love experience very much. I spend、uh, almost every day after school, or sometimes I skip the lectures and、uh, enjoy spending time in the laboratory. And that probably captured my <laughs> heart. And I thought I'll be bored if I see, you know, patients every day. Most of the patients from the doctor's side, very similar, you know, headaches or stomach ache or fevers. So, but clinicians certainly very important and I admire their efforts and、uh, enthusiasm. But for me, something new every day. Is more exciting to my life. That's my decision. Dr. Honjo's PhD work revealed how diphtheria toxin inhibits protein synthesis. He then moved to the United States, first to the Carnegie Institution with Donald Brown, and then in 1973 to Philip Leder's lab at the NIH. Honjo was fascinated now by the problem of how antibody diversity was generated. 
In the decades since, Dr. Honjo and his colleagues have made many key contributions to the field, most importantly the discovery of the enzyme responsible for class switch recombination and somatic hypermutation, activation-induced cytidine deaminase, or AID. Meanwhile, in the cancer field, Following a burst of research on viruses and cancer in the 1970s after Nixon declared war on the disease, immunotherapy made a big comeback in the 80s. The molecule at the center of it all was the cytokine interleukin-2. IL-2 even made it to the cover of Newsweek in 1985. In the November 1992 issue of the EMBO Journal, sandwiched between two IL-2 papers, Yatsumasa Ishida, Honjo, and collaborators described a new molecule discovered in a screen of dying T-cell lines. Thirty years later, IL-2 remains an interesting but difficult molecule for clinical use, plagued by safety concerns. Meanwhile, the gene coding for a predicted 268 amino acid protein cloned by Ishida and Honjo has revolutionized the treatment of previously intractable metastatic solid tumors. I asked Dr. Honjo how his lab till then dedicated to the study of antibody diversity, became interested in the molecular mechanisms of cell death. Actually, this interest stems from my student, Yasumasa Ishida, who is the first author of this paper. He came to my lab after a clinical training in Nagoya University, and he told me he is very much interested in this thymic T-cell selection that was believed at that time based on the selective uh, cell death. So he want to explore the molecular mechanism, how to regulate uh, selective cell death in thymus. And to be honest, I have never worked on the thymus. So I'm very much impressed uh, from two reasons. A young medical student who never done any research had a very clear mind what to do. So I, I agreed. I accept Dr. Ishida as a graduate student, but I asked him, you have to polish your hands first to learn how to do any molecular biology. Uh, so I asked him to work on the one of the major topics on the IL-2 receptor alpha chain transgenic animals, which we're working on. And he spent uh, uh, maybe two years on that project. And he was almost ready to go. And then he still kept his interest. So we decided, let's tackle this problem. And we employed subtractive hybridization, which actually successfully employed by Mark Davis and uh, Takmak for T-cell receptor isolation. So obviously, we do not know the function of this uh, new gene, but uh, Ishida kind of had a very enthusiasm, so we coined the name Program Death Series. But surprisingly, he isolated, uh, I forgot, six or seven independent clones, but all of them are part of the same gene, PD-1. So we believed this gene must be very important during the cell death induction, but actually it was induced by strong stimulation on thymic uh, cells. 
So we certainly didn't have the clear functional aspect, but because of the time limitation or something, we wanted to publish something out of uh, from this study. And one thing clear from the structure of the cDNA, this is a membrane protein, and it has a kind of signaling domain, highly conserved two tyrosine residues, which are shared by a series of uh, activation signaling molecules in immune systems. But PD-1 has a very unique feature, namely the distance between two tyrosines are twice as long compared to the, the rest of the known T-cell receptor signaling molecule or B-cell receptor signaling molecule. So we clearly stated we don't know the function, but this must be some signaling molecule. So obviously I never imagined this is a negative regulator at that point. Well, it's a possibility, but no clear and we just went on. The initial hypothesis being that you, you might have found a gene that was involved in cell death. When did it become clear that this was not the case? Well, actually, we could exclude the possibility of uh, involvement in cell death early because we overexpressed, uh, nothing happens. So expression of this uh, gene, MPD1, on any lymphocyte did not induce any cell death. So we thought this must be doing something else. But to find out, it took us another five or six years by knocking out and the back crossing and all those long, another <laughs> journey. So in, as you mentioned, the, the knockout mice, at that point, the indication and, and the, the, the biology of actual PD-1 uh, mm-hmm. turns out to be very, very linked to the regulation mm-hmm. of autoimmunity. And and those are very beautiful papers, and they also point to the importance of the genetic background of the mice in, in, in analyzing um, phenotype. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what that was? What was the genetic background effect on the PD-1 mutants? We generated knockout mice in that... Uh, the all days, we knockout was done on the, uh, not the... 129. Inbred line, yeah. yeah. So it's a bit a, a bit dirty line because uh, eggs, uh, fertilized eggs, stronger, mm-hmm. and the efficiency of generation of animals by far easier. And then we didn't see any phenotype. So, of course, we are very much disappointed. And we talked... Uh, with the immunologist uh, in our medical school. Uh, actually, it's uh, Nagahiro Minato, who is now the president of Kyoto University. So he immediately pointed out, you should back cross to inbred line, barbsy or black mice, whatever. And also he suggested back cross to the immune uh, disturbed uh, line, many LPR or those kind of the disease model animals to see what happens. So that took us another few years by classical crossing many generations. And still was not clear, except we see 
some hyperactivation of lymphocytes. So we suspect some negative regulator. But the, the final evidence came when we kept these animals uh, rather long. So after six months or seven months, they begin to show phenotypes, obviously autoimmune diseases. So first uh, half a year, nothing happens. So we were very much disappointed, but uh, some old mice begin to show phenotypes. That's the beginning of the whole story. And it's also important to tell you, 95, I think, CTL4 knockout was published by a few groups, including Tatmark, and these animals die in a very acute uh, symptom, very severe GVHD-like symptoms. So we immediately thought this is a very good target, the PD-1, relative to CTL4 for any treatment including autoimmune disease, cancers, uh, organ transplantations. Because if you touch CTL4, it causes very striking side effects. But PD-1, it takes such a long time to show the phenotypes. So this could be, we didn't know whether it's work or not, but, you know, most important thing is to don't have such a strong side effect. Then we cannot touch that was our feeling. Yes, and at, as you mentioned, um, cancer at this point. Um, so you, you had started in cell death. You had this very beautiful autoimmunity result with the mutant mice. Um, at which point did you become interested in the potential for PD-1 in cancer? Cancer. Well, actually, Dr. Minato, Nagahiro Minato, uh, who is actually one of the corresponding author of the 92 paper uh, published in the, I think it's uh, JM, for this uh, treatment, immunotherapy. Forgot the PNS or... <laughs> well, I'll find it. Iwai et al. So this uh, work, we had a very intimate collaboration with the Minato group. The reason why we started uh, working cancer, Minato worked a long time uh, in the United States with the cancer immunotherapy. So he has a very strong interest in cancer. So we always discussed. So cancer is one of the our target from the very early stage. The PD-1 pathway is one of the two major current targets for immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. The other is CTLA-4, a gene first identified by Dr. Pierre Goldstein and his group at the Centre d'Immunologie Marseille-Lumni. They reported the cloning of murine CTLA-4 in nature in 1987, shortly followed by the cloning of human CTLA-4. Pierre Goldstein, first author Jean-François Brunet, and their colleagues were also not working on immunity to cancer. Oddly enough, they were in fact interested in a scientific problem related to the one approached by the Hondro group. But instead of trying to understand how cells die, the Goldstein group was investigating how they kill. Our main question at that point was the nature of the mechanism by which cytotoxic T cells were able to kill other cells. So to do this, 
we uh, set up subtractive cloning, which had already been done in, in other labs for other questions. So subtractive cloning and differential screening of material expressed in cytotoxic T cells and not in other cells. So there it became quite interesting because uh, after a few years, uh, we came up with five candidate molecules and they fall into two separate classes. One class answered our initial question of molecules specifically expressed in cytotoxic T cells, and that turned out to be involved in, in the function. So this was CTLA-1 and CTLA-3, and it was shown that they corresponded to granzyme B and granzyme A, respectively. And these molecules at that time were also discovered by other labs, and they played a role, it turned out, in the granule exocytosis perforant granzyme mechanism of cytotoxicity. So this was the first class of molecules, and they were relevant to our initial question, and uh, they were useful in this respect. Now, what was interesting, and perhaps more interesting, was the second class of molecules, which did not answer our initial question, which turned out uh, to have been picked up by chance. So the last of these unexpected molecules was called CTLA-4. And CTLA-4 was remarkable at that time because it was a member of the immunoglobulin superfamily, which is expressed mostly in activated T cells. And we explored some aspects of CTLA-4, especially the um, similarity to CD28 and uh, the human side of these molecules as well. But then it was mostly explored in other labs and uh, quite well, actually, um, for several years. And it took nine years until uh, the knockout was done. And uh, uh, the knockout of CTLA-4 uh, led to the demonstration that uh, CTLA-4 had a negative uh, function. This was shown because in the knockout, uh, there was a huge uh, proliferation of T cells. Our colleague Andrew cloned the uh, PD-1 molecule and it was very similar to the CTLA-4 story in the sense that they were not looking for uh, molecules involved uh, in uh, immunotherapy, of course. They were looking for molecules involved in cell death, uh, similar to what we were doing, looking for molecules involved in cytotoxicity. And similar to what we uh, found, they found something which was absolutely unrelated to the question they were asking, which was PD-1. Altogether, for both stories, CTLA-4 and PD-1, it took about 20 years between the initial discovery of these molecules and the FDA approval uh, for clinical use of anti-CTLA-4 anti-PD-1 antibodies. <laughs>
Incidentally, the Goldstein lab screen hit on another molecule that is of great interest in both basic and clinical immunology. They called it CTLA-8, but if you're working in the field today, you'll probably know it as interleukin-17. You published PD-1 in the EMBO journal, and then uh, almost a decade later, you published the ligand PDL one in, yeah. in the Journal of Experimental Medicine right. and showing that this was a negative mm. regulator mm. Um, with, 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 together with Gordon Freeman. Mm. Um, and then um, a couple of years later, you published in PNAS right. that blocking this interaction could have an anti-tumor effect. Yeah. And because we are talking about the EMBO journal, it, it stands out a bit that the, the results that, that directly paved the way uh, to, to the clinical um, use of, of the work and, and to ultimately your, your Nobel Prize were published all in academic journals. Um, right. is, is that a, a coincidence or do you think academic journals still have some um, particular role to play in scientific publishing? That's a very good question. Yeah. So you are kind of uh, discussing so-called commercial journal. And certainly this academic journal, I think, is very critical. Even today, I, I prefer the academic journal because this is the primary responsibility of academia to evaluate each other and uh, make it based, uh, criticize and uh, publish critically. That's the primary responsibility of academia. And uh, now the commercial journal uh, publishing industry are heavily dominating the publications, but I still respect the academic journal. That's my belief. One, I think, very important aspect that you always point out, particularly in, in public lectures that I have seen, is that for all the immense success of immunotherapy, the majority of patients will still not have the kind of response that they may come to hope for when they read about it in, in the news and, and, and when we see the very justified enthusiasm. But ultimately, we are still looking at uh, 20 to 30 percent uh, rates of, of very good success in a set of tumors and not entirely across the board. And so I know um, for you and, and your group, it's, it's, um, it's a strong research concern to move that number uh, to a higher percentage of responders. And I'm very curious to know what are the current strategies that are being pursued in your lab for that. We now started the Center for Cancer Immunotherapy Immunobiology in the medical campus in Kyoto University. And we started recruiting uh, many PIs, especially we welcome the foreign scientists. And our goal is two aspects. One is the early diagnosis for responder versus non-responder. The second is definitely improvement of uh, efficacy of this treatment. The major strategy we are now concentrating is by combination. Uh, mostly, actually, we have uh, several candidates and uh, try and go into the clinic in uh, sooner or later. Uh, we collaborate but one example we already published is a bezafibrate, which is a mitochondrial activator regulating, involved in the regulation of mitochondrial uh, transcription. 
shows very significant efficacy augmentation in the animal model. And uh, also we have a phase one trial and uh, seen a significant uh, effectiveness. So we have several other candidates other than these uh, chemicals. And also recently our colleague, Dr. Sidonia Fagerson, published the another molecule uh, she just published last year, uh, GABA, which has been known as a negative regulator in the central nervous system. But in fact, this molecule used in the immune system as a negative regulator. And recently, some of the group published many tumors secreted GABA to suppress immune system. So these are totally unknown field where we still have a, a space to enhance the immunotherapy. So that's what we are trying to explore. Um, on that, in, in this exploration, one, one thing that you have also discussed in the past about the PD-1 work was that it was um, sometimes difficult to find a, a partner to develop the clinical trials Correct. Um, in, 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 in Japan when, when the work looks so promising. Um, has that changed? How is that working in your center now? Well, recently, because of the uh, success in the PD-1 blockade therapy, many companies began to show interest. The scenery changed drastically. Before, Japanese industry not much experience in the this type of the antibody therapy and the concept of the immunotherapy. But now the market shifted drastically. So now we are getting the Japanese partner more easily compared to 10 years or 20 years ago. That the market has shifted drastically might in fact be an understatement. According to an article posted in Nature Review's Drug Discovery in February, there are currently 5,683 active clinical trials targeting the PD-1, PD-L1 pathway, 83% of which are testing some form of combination therapy. I asked the Embo Journal's current editor-in-chief, Facundo Batista, about the significance of Ishida et al.'s 1992 paper. Well, I think that is huge. And I think that is a typical example of asking an important question and thinking that we will get an answer and doing very high-quality science that led you to unexpected discoveries. I mean, the paper has been transformational. I don't think that ever would have predicted, you know, when they were looking into genes that were differentially expressed, you know, to get such an important molecule um, that they, it would be transformative in terms of cancer immunotherapy. And, and I don't think even the realization of, for several years after that published, the realization that this could be so transformational was there. And I remember, I mean, I, I, I was a student at that time and I didn't see the paper. I remember reading in other papers from Professor Honjo uh, following on the PD-1 story when he builds, he in this paper identified the molecule, but then he continued the line of research, digging deeper and deeper and deeper, but producing mouse knockouts and under, uh, trying to understand really the function of this. And I remember a science paper he published, I think it was in 2000, and 
and one out of the PD-1 knockout showing that these mice had, you know, an autoimmune phenotype, like six mice will have heart failures. Um, and still the molecule was not fully understood. So, but I think, again, it's a classic example of excellent science where people start with a very big question, interesting question, looking for differential expressed genes. And it unravel an incredible, powerful um, story. I think that what shows is really what a good scientist is. Like you start with um, a, one important question, you identify the molecule, but then you don't stop for many years until you can really figure out the function. So this is not a, only a touch base. And Professor Honcho did this twice. Like he did this with PD-1, but he did this with AID. He was the first in identifying AID uh, that is this molecule that, you know, drives a diversity in, in antibody repertoires. And that was, again, a, a, a gene that was cloned by a differential expression in germinal center cells. That, funnily enough, originally it was published in a, a journal of biochemistry uh, because nobody knew what that molecule go. But then he went on for many years also to participate and many others, Michel Nussenbach, Michael Neuberger, Fred Alt, you know, to really understand the function of, of this molecule. So I don't think that science is about a single discovery or the cloning of a single molecule, but what it shows is, you know, the, the continuation of asking really questions and figure out what these things are. And so I have immense admiration for this and and that is what characterized Dr. Honcho's trajectory, that he will not stop in single identification or publishing a paper, but he will start with an important question and go on for many years to figure out what that molecule does. Well, I'd like to express my sincere congratulations on EMBO journal. And I remember that journal started in good old days, and we love the journal developed into this uh, high standard. And uh, it's really my great pleasure that uh, I had my key paper, the first in PD-1 series, published in Embo Journal. To find out more about how Dr. Honjo and his colleagues are working to understand immunity to cancer and to enhance immunotherapy, you can check out Kyoto University's Center for Cancer Immunotherapy and Immune Biology at ccii.med.kyoto-u.ac.jp. Dr. Goldstein continues to work on the mechanisms of cell death, but now focuses on autophagic cell death in the unicellular organism Dictyostelium discoidium. You can learn more about his work at Centre d'Immunologie Marcel Lumini at ciml dot univ dash mrs dot fr. Embo Journal's editor-in-chief, Facundo Batista, is associate director of the Raygon Institute in Boston. To find out more about his lab's research projects, go to raygoninstitute.org. You can browse classic papers and current content at the Embo Journal and other Embo Press journals at embopress.org. Thank you for listening to the Embo Podcast. Thank you.